Oh, Holy Spirit. Mm. Father God, I just thank you. Thank you so much for answering our prayer. We are just here in your presence today. We are in the presence of Almighty, Almighty God, Almighty God. Oh, Father, anoint my words. Anoint my words, Jesus. We want an encounter with you. We want power. Lord God, Father God, we are here for you today. We are here for a touch from you. Fill this room, God. Fill our hearts. Fill our minds. Fill homes, Lord, where people are watching it on Zoom. Holy Spirit, come in power. Come in power. Come in power, I pray. Seal us now to hear your word. In the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, amen. Amen. So last week we talked about the power of the name of Jesus. The power of the name of Jesus. And I had so many people reach out to me last week. So many people, um, the power of that name, the power of that name, the name above every name. And I talked about what, what happens in the name of Jesus when we use the name of Jesus. I talked about the miracles. I talked about all that stuff. And I, it's funny because I had a ne- next talk I was going to do today. And the Holy Spirit on Monday, totally, I halfway done, totally redirected me. Um, so I'm walking in the park. I'm praying on Monday, preparing myself for this. Holy Spirit's like, Hebrews 11, which I have most of it memorized, it is the hall of fame of faith. Most everybody knows Hebrews 11. It is power. It is miracles. It is all these things. And it starts with, you know, Abel. I'll walk you through it. It starts with Abel, goes to Enoch. Enoch was Noah's great-grandfather. Uh, he was the father of Methuselah. Methuselah lived 969 years, the oldest man to ever live. And Enoch never died. He went straight to heaven. You know, this is amazing. So then it goes to Enoch. Then we talk, he talks about Noah. Then it talks about Abraham and Sarah. And I love Abraham and Sarah. You know, the ultimate power couple, but it gives us all hope because they didn't become the power couple until they were 100 years old. So, like, it, you know, it gives us hope. Um, you know, so it goes through Abraham, Sarah, Isaac, Jacob, Joseph, Moses. You guys know these names. It talks about the walls of Jericho falling down. It talks about Rahab, the prostitute, the ultimate redemption story. You know, she ends up being in the bloodline of David, King David. She is his great-great-grandmother. She's in the bloodline of Jesus. The redemption story, I mean, this is the most powerful, inspiring chapter. And then it says, and I want to read it to you. It says, and what more shall I say? So still Hebrews 11. He's just mentioned all these names. I don't have time to tell about Gideon, Barak, Samson, Jephthah, and David, and Samuel, and the prophets, who through faith conquered kingdoms, administered justice, and gained what was promised, who shut the mouths of lions, quenched the fury of the flame, and escaped the edge of the sword. I love this part. Whose weakness was turned to strength, and who became powerful in battle and routed foreign armies. Women received back their dead, raised again to life. Okay, this is a list of pretty amazing miracles. Miracle after miracle after miracle after miracle. And the Lord's just leading me to this, all these great miracles. And of course, it's like, and that's for today too. And we have the name of Jesus. And so the question is, what's happening? Where are, what's happening? You know, what's happening with this power? Um, these are victories. Okay, so this talks about faith through faith, right? So I think most of us have faith. Most of us have faith. Most of us, um, and, and really right now with, with a lot of the new age, it's positive thinking. We think of faith, we think positive thinking. We think, I think positively, I believe for good things, I think this way, I, where are the miracles? The Lord is like, keep reading. I read through Hebrews 11, keep reading. So Hebrews 12, therefore, since we are surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses, let us throw off everything that hinders. So there's things that can hinder us from this power. Throw off everything that hinders and the sin that so easily entangles. This is 12.1. 
Then it says, make every effort to live at peace with everyone and to be holy. Without holiness, no one will see the Lord. See to it that no one falls short of the grace of God and that no bitter root grows up to cause trouble and defile many. So it's talking about living in peace. It's talking about being holy. It's talking about not letting bitterness rise up. Um, so see that no one is sexually immoral or is godless like Esau, who for a single meal sold his inheritance, his rights as the oldest son. And afterward, as you know, when he wanted to inherit the blessing, he was rejected. It's talking about things that stop miracles, that stop power. It says, you have come, and I love this description, you have come to thousands upon thousands of angels in joyful assembly. He's saying, okay, you, so you have a sandwich. You've got Hebrews 11, outstanding miracles. You have in the middle things that block miracles. Then he takes us back to the angels. He says, you have come, us, we are, we have come to thousands and thousands of angels in joyful assembly to the church of the forest bird whose names are written in heaven. You have come to God, the judge of all. We don't like that word judge. So that's kind of there. To the spirits of the righteous made perfect, to Jesus, the mediator of the new covenant. See to it that you do not refuse him who speaks. If they did not escape when they refused him who warned them on earth, how much less will you if we turn away from him who warns us from heaven? Therefore, since we are receiving a kingdom that cannot be shaken, let us be thankful. And this is what just knocked me over when I read this. So worship God acceptably with reverence and awe, for our God is a consuming fire. And our God is a consuming fire. I, that, like, when I read that, I was just like, this is what he wants me to talk about. And I literally was just like, I'm like grappling through this. Our God is a consuming fire. And, and so I went to chapter 13. I'm like, I can't wait to see what chapter 13 is about. It's over. It's concluding the book. The power, Hebrews 11, has to do with faith, has to do with holiness, has to do with the fire of God. Um, and then, and so I was just like, our God is consuming fire. What does that mean? What does that look like? Um, we are supposed to be living supernatural lives. We're not supposed to be living normal lives, mundane lives. Um, we are supposed to be powerful. We are world changers. I mean, we all know it took 12 disciples and the whole world was changed. We don't need, he doesn't need, he doesn't need quantity. He needs quality. He, and, and we're watching what's happening in front of our face with our nation, with our children, with our schools, with our churches. I mean, everywhere, right? So we, I mean, we've got to examine this. And I said last week, I'm getting back to the basics, right? I, I wanted to start 2021 <coughs> back to the basics, back to, back, you, you know, when, when something's gone askew, you've got to go back to the beginning and start to correct the foundation. So going back to the beginning, the foundation, I want to correct this. Our God is a consuming fire. And it requires faith. So miracles come through faith. Miracles come through holiness. Miracles come through understanding that our God is a consuming fire. See, here, faith without actions, James says, so too faith, if it does not have works to back it up, is by itself dead, inoperative, ineffective. See, we may not be having works to back up our faith. It's not just positive thinking, which is important. Positive thinking, in other words, means I hope in God because he is almighty. My hope is in him and I have faith that there's nothing he can't do. But it also requires action. But someone may say, you claim to have faith and I have good works. Show me your alleged faith without works if you can and I will show you my faith by my works. In other words, you've got to have some works to match the faith. Maybe we're missing it because we think we can just sit and think good things, positive things, hopeful things, and think that the power will come. And I think that that's a lie. And I think we're not living very powerful lives. And it's time we do. Because the power is accessible to us, and I showed that last week. God's fire. I can't tell you how much I meditated on the consuming fire of God. And you, um, you guys may or may not know, I do a lot of work. So I only do this two times a month because I do lots and lots of spiritual work with people one-on-one -on -one, hours and hours days and days 
And so um, I, I can tell you something. When you are in the presence of Almighty God and there is power, you heat up. You literally get hot. And if any of you have ever confronted evil and really confronted evil, you literally get cold. I mean, there's cold. There's, there is temperature. You feel temperature. When I said the fire of God, I'm like, I felt that fire. I've also looked evil straight in the eyes and it made my blood grow cold. There is fire. There is power. But, but then I started thinking, and I, I was like, okay, God, you are a consuming fire. It says that in the Old Testament and the New Testament. Think about it. Moses, burning bush. The Lord appears to Moses in a burning bush. He speaks out of the bush. Blazing fire, it says. Consuming fire. What about the children of Israel? He led them by night. How? He was the fire. Remember when he led them through the wilderness? He was the fire. He was a, he was a stack of fire up to the heavens. He was fire. What about Elijah? You guys know the story, and I'm going to talk about it more, but Elijah goes and challenges the, the, the prophets of Baal. And he says, you do, your, you do your altar, I'll do my altar. I'm going to call down fire from heaven. He literally calls down fire from heaven. He says, oh, Lord, answer me. Answer me so that these people will know that you, oh, Lord, are God, which is, by the way, why we need fire in our lives. So people will know that God is Lord because there's power in our lives. We are supposed to be different. There's supposed to be so much power in our life. We need fire because it proves that we have power. It proves that God is real. He said, and it says, when he cries out to God, immediately the fire of the Lord flashed down from heaven and burned up the young bull, the wood, the stones, the dust, even licked up the water in the trench. Look at the fire guy. He falls in power. Falls in power. When the Holy Spirit came to the church in Acts, lest we think, oh, that's just... Old Testament, when the Holy Spirit came to the church at Pentecost, it says, he came, they were all together in one place, and suddenly a sound came from heavens like a rushing violent wind. Rushing violent wind, this is power, right? It says, and the whole house where they were sitting was shaking, and there appeared to them tongues resembling fire which were being distributed among them, and they rested on each one of them. Each person received the Holy Spirit, and they were filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in other tongues as the Spirit gave them ability to speak out. The Holy Spirit came in fire. He came in fire. This is the consuming fire of God. You know, we know when Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego walked in the fire, they were thrown in the fire because they were bold, fearless, Refuse to bow to evil, which is what we need to be doing a lot more of. Instead of capitulating and participating and giving our nod of, because every time we're silent, we're agreeing. They stood up. They refused to do that. And what happened? He walked in the fire among them. We have a wild story about Elijah. Elijah has given a prophetic word to the king that is true. And the king is angry. So he sends people to arrest Elijah and throw him in prison. Fifty men show up against one, but one prophet of God. One person of God with the power of God, a fire falls from heaven. Fifty men. So the king sends another fifty. One man of God. Fifty soldiers. Fire falls from heaven again. Gone. The last time, the last guy... He literally crawls on his knees up to the man of God and says, please do not send down fire. See, this is what our fire is supposed to do to evil. Uh, the fire of God is supposed to stop evil. And they came so embrazened and, and emboldened. And that king was going to let Elijah know, oh, you're so, you know, how, how could you make a stand against me? Who do you think you are? I think I'm a person of God. I think I have the fire of God in me. And I think I can put a stop to evil. Because the fire of God, the fire of God, it's all consuming. Um, we have a wild story about God and fire. And that's a, that was a wild story. It's about the fire of judgment. There's also judgment. And we've got this wild story in the Bible. And you know what? There's so many things about the Bible that just don't even get talked about because people can't understand it. People can't explain it. People can't 
we need to understand, we need to know all the facets here. So Aaron's sons are performing an act in the temple, and they did something with the fire. And my guess, my understanding is, I think it had something to do with an the way that people worshipped idols with fire, what they did with that, and they tried to transpose that to God. God struck Aaron's two sons dead right then and there with fire. The fire of God is power. The fire of God is power on behalf of his people. The fire of God is judgment against those who won't stand and do what's right and, and are participating with evil. You've got Ananias and Sapphira. Um, you guys know this story. They decided to lie to the Holy Spirit about something that's just they didn't need to lie about. Just like not a big thing, you know, but but they go before God. And I think most of you know the story. They go before God. And instead of just being honest, because that's all God wants, they, they tell these lies. First, the husband goes in. Peter's like, why would you not, why would you not be more reverent to God? Why would you do this? Struck dead. His wife comes in three hours later. He checks, he says, hey, this is the story Ananias told us. Is this the story? Is this the truth? She's like, yeah, that's the truth. Struck dead. The fire of God. But what's interesting about this story is it says, at once she fell down at his feet and died, and the young men came in and found her dead, and they carried her out and buried her beside her husband. And a great fear and awe gripped the whole church and all who heard about these things. And... At the hands of the apostle, many signs and wonders and miracles were taking place. You see, there's something about the fire of God, the reverence of God, the holiness of God, the obedience of God, and the power of God, and the miracles of God. And we don't have our combination right. Because the same power is accessible to us today that was accessible back then. And yet we don't have it, and I think... We don't understand it. You know, in seminaries, do you know what a lot of seminaries say about these stories that I'm telling you? First of all, most pastors just bury them. Let's pretend like this isn't who God is. Let's pretend like he's something he isn't. Let's let's make believe about who he is. A lot of seminaries say, this is the dark side of God. They, they teach in seminaries, this is the dark side of God. I got to tell you, those are fighting words to me. You know, there is no, God is light. He is holy. His message is truthful. He is perfect in righteousness. And in him, there's no darkness at all, no wickedness, no imperfection. Everything he does is perfect. Everything he does is right. So this isn't some dark side of God. This is a side of God that we've ignored. And I think we've ignored it because I think that we are, um, I think that churches for a while got very legalistic. And what legalism does is it shuts down the power of God, and instead it focuses only on the rules. It's all about the rules. There's no power. It's just about the rules. But So that's a ditch, right? You just All you do is you basically earn your righteousness, which we can't anyway. You focus on it's all about that, and there's no power. Um, and, and, of course, the ultimate example of legalism are the Pharisees, Pharisees and Sadducees. Um, who murdered Jesus, right? I mean, it's the ultimate act of wickedness. They murdered the Christ in the name of religion. And we can have that happen now. We can murder the grace and the mercy and the goodness of God in the name of religion. But there's another ditch, and I'm afraid we've fallen into it, which is we've ignored the power of God. We've ignored the holiness of God. We've ignored the truth about what who we need to be before God. God is love. So we've got to establish this. God is love. He is absolute love. So anything he does is love. I think one thing we have to look at is, have we um, accepted a completely false definition of love? And I think we have because... We know from the Bible that we know things by their fruit. And the fruit of what we are calling love is creating families falling apart, 
marriages falling apart, uh, you know, children who are very depressed, miserable, self-entitled, bratty. So I think we've gotten away from what love looks like. I think we've come to decide that love means um, no consequence, no boundaries. No, and, and that's our new definition of love, which doesn't work. So you see society falling apart. You see marriages falling apart. You can't, this doesn't, this, that. So first of all, we have to understand what love is. We have to have the right definition of love. But I think we can all agree that whatever, however we might get a skew in this, God is love. So he is the standard. So we can understand that God is love. We can accept that. And, and we know that the Bible says that Jesus came to seek and save the lost. So how do you, how do we put this together? Like we, we have, we have the um, woman caught in adultery and they drag her in front of Jesus and they're like, you know, stone her. And he's just like, you know, throw the first stone. And he says to her, go and sin no more. You're forgiven. So we've got this, we've got this side of Jesus. Like, look at this. We have Jesus choosing the apostle Paul who murdered Christians. And he's just like, you are saved by grace. And I'm going to raise you up to be the greatest apostle. We have Abraham. We've talked about some of their, their character shortcomings. It's not that God's looking for perfection. So we need to understand how you balance that the fire of God, the all-consuming fire of God, and the love of God, and, which, and when we get that balance, there's the power of God. And I, don't, I think we're off balance because we're not having the power. And I do believe most of us have the faith. So I think there's something missing. I just want to talk about the love of God for a minute. It says, Jesus said, healthy people don't need a doctor. Sick people do. For I have come to call not those who think they are righteous. See, the problem is when we think we're righteous, we think we're so good. He's like, I'm not even bothering with that person. That's not even who I'm here for. He said, I'm here for those who know they're sinners. I think the problem that we get into is that instead of us being like, yep, I am, I, I, this isn't right. I need to change it. Instead, we try to say, no, I'm allowed to do whatever I want. I lower God instead of being raised up. He wants us to know we're sinners. He doesn't want us to live under guilt and condemnation, but he's like, you need to change. We need to change. You know, and, and I've said this before. Churches, come as you are. Yes, come as you are, but we are not to stay as we are. And when we stay as we are, we lose power. I love this. My sacrifice, oh God, is a broken spirit, a broken and contrite heart. God will not despise. So, you know, when you are sad for your sins, when you're repentant for your sins, they're gone. So this is not about condemnation. This is understanding the balance of an all-consuming fire of God, the love of God, the forgiveness of God, and understanding how we forfeit power. You know, this is a beautiful scripture. The Lord is merciful and compassionate. compassionate. He's slow to get angry. He's filled with unfailing love. The Lord is good to everyone. He shows compassion to all his creation. I mean, really, this is who God is. This is his goodness. Your kingdom is everlasting kingdom. You rule throughout all generations, meaning we can trust that for our children. We can trust that for our grandchildren. It's who he is. The Lord always keeps his promises. He's gracious in all he does. The Lord helps the fallen and lifts those bent beneath their lows. The eyes of all look to you in hope. You give them their food as they need it. When you open your hand, you satisfy the hungry of every thirsty living thing. The Lord is righteous in everything he does. He's filled with kindness. The Lord is close to those who call on him. Yes, to all who call on him in truth. He grants the desires of those who fear him. I mean, he wants to give you your desires, but there is a contingency, fearing him. He grants that he hears their cries for help and he rescues them. Who? Those who fear him. The Lord protects all those who love him, but he destroys the wicked. See, this whole love chapter about love, but it ends with the fact that he destroys the wicked. I don't think we're talking about that. I don't think we're, I don't, I think we're ignoring this part of God. And I think it's dangerous, and I think it leads to a powerless Christianity. I think we need to get serious 
about who God is. I think we need to look at the whole entire character of God. You know, the fire of God, if you are a person who, not perfect, selling for perfection, but honest about who you are, owning your stuff, not pretending you're something you're not, being real, being genuine, the consuming fire of God is a blessing. I mean, we saw the power of God coming down to help the righteous, but it will destroy the wicked. And there is wickedness, and there is judgment, and we need to live in the fear of the Lord for that. I want to show you how God fights for the righteous. I love this scripture. I, have, I wrote this on my husband's mirror. You love justice and hate evil. Therefore, God, your God, has anointed you, pouring out the oil of joy on you more than anyone else. You know what? When we hate evil and we love good, there is blessing. There is, there, God fights for us. The eyes of the Lord range throughout the earth to strengthen those whose hearts are fully committed to him. Listen, he's looking. He is looking for us. He is looking for anybody who will stand with him. He is looking for anybody who will. So he's looking for to do good to us, which is such a blessing. Um, but I think that we are spending time in church hearing about God but not knowing God. Just, you know, we, we can't just know one part of a person and say we know them. You know, we have celebrities all the time. We know parts of their lives. We don't know them. We don't know them. I, I feel like maybe God has become like this celebrity. We really don't know. We really don't know his character. Um, and I think part of why we don't know his character is because we avoid these controversial passages because we consider them controversial. How can something be controversial if it's who God is? And, and it, it quenches the power. It quenches the power of God. God gives us little glimpses of himself. He is so magnificent, but he gives us little glimpses. And I want to show you in Isaiah, we get a couple glimpses of, of the, the magnitude of who God is. The majesty, the authority. And it's really cool that this comes, this comes in Isaiah 6. It says, so he gets this vision the year that King Uzziah died. And King Uzziah, he had been uh, reigning for 52 years. And if you know anything about the history of the children of Israel, when they had a good king, things were great. When they had a bad king, things were really, really bad. And this king had fought battles for 52 years and won and won and won and won. So much winning, you know. And he just, he kept them safe. And he was, he was, um, they felt protected because of him. And now he's died. And now he's gone. And it's interesting that that's the year that God comes to Isaiah and shows him this. So he says, I saw the Lord sitting upon a throne, high and lifted up. I love this part. The skirts of his train filled the most holy part of the temple. He's sitting in heaven on this magnificent throne, and the train, you know, with the king, the back of the train, the, the bottom of it comes into the temple. I just pray, pray, Lord God, let the, let the skirts of your train just come into this room right now. The power of God, it doesn't matter. The skirts of God's train just coming into this room. The skirts of God's train coming into this room. Above him stood the seraphim. The seraphim are the most powerful, holy angels. They stand in the presence of God. They were created to stand in the presence of God. And this is what I wanted to show you. Each had six wings. Two each covered his face. Two covered his feet and two flew. Okay, these seraphim are the most high, holy angels. They have so much reverence for God that two of their wings... They cover their face to cover their body. They're like, I'm not worthy to be in the presence of God. He is so holy. He is so powerful. He is so mighty. They were created to say, I can't, I, did, I dare not even look. He's so magnificent. He's so powerful. He's so holy. You know, this is, these are the highest angels. They've never sinned. They're not like us. They've never sinned. 
but they understand the magnitude of being in God's presence. And it says, and they cried out to each other, holy, holy, holy is the Lord of hosts. The whole earth is filled with his glory. See, what are they saying around the throne? They talk about his holiness. Holy, holy, holy. Holiness is so important to God. That's what's said day and night around his throne. And when that happens, whatever, when the Holy Ghost, when the Holy Spirit came upon the people, the earth, the, the, the room shook, it said, and fire came. In the presence of God, the foundations of the threshold shake, and the whole room is filled with the smoke, the grandeur and the power of God. And, and then Isaiah says to him, says, all of a sudden, in the midst of this, I mean, Isaiah is the top prophet, one of the top prophets of all time. And Isaiah, in the presence of this majesty, all he can think about is his own uncleanness. See, in, in juxtaposition to God's glory and his holiness, we realize what we are and aren't. It says, I said, woe to me, for I'm undone, I'm ruined. I'm a man of unclean lips. I dwell in the midst of people of unclean lips. From my eyes have seen the king of hosts. I, I mean, it's interesting. I hear people say all the time, I can't wait to get to heaven because God's got some explaining to do. He's got to, you know, he's got to, you know, I can't wait to get up there. And, and I always just think, what? You've got 12 wings flying everywhere. You're going to be like, excuse, get out of my way. Excuse me, I'm going to get to this. You know, you've got them saying holy, holy, holy and covering themselves and we're going to get in his face and say, why, blah, 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 you know. I mean, I'm like, that's not my God. You're talking about a totally different God. This is not the God I know. The God I know is holy and is reverence and is majestic and powerful. I, you know, we live in a, we live, it's hard for us to understand reverence. It's hard for us to understand how we should reverence the Lord's holiness. We flip off our president. You know, we, we blaspheme anything. We don't, we don't even know. I mean, please, you know, I, raising children, please raise your children to show respect for authority. If they don't respect you, they will not respect God or anybody else, it starts with teaching your children to have respect. Mm -hmm. We don't even understand respect or the reverence. But listen, if we don't reverence God, if we don't understand that when we stand in his presence, we're just like, woe is me of unclean lips. You know, this is, this is, we approach God. Now listen, he's a father, but I feel like we understand that. He's love, but I feel like we understand that where I think we might be missing it, is the holiness. And I think that that leaves us powerless. When we don't reverence him the way we should, I think it robs power. You know, <laughs> we've got this thing. Well, I don't think God judges. I don't think, I think God is love. So I don't think that he really punishes. I don't think there's really a hell. I don't really think there's, um, I think, I think if I have these desires, then, you know, why would God want me to pride myself? I think, I think, I think. Do you, do you realize when we do that, how irreverent that is? <clears throat> Who are we? Who are we? Really? I think, you know what we think with that same filthy mind? Think of all the filthy things we think. The hateful, unkind, dirty things we think. And that's the mind we're going to create God in the image we decide he's going to be? It is not about, I feel, I mean, we have really bowed down. Feelings has become our new idol. I feel, so the feeling, listen, the person next to you is feeling something totally different. And thinking somebody totally different. We do not create God in our image. We, we, God, we bow before God. When, when Isaiah said this, you know what God said when he said, woe is me, of unclean lips. What did he do immediately? Said an angel, touched his lips, said here, completely forgiven. Completely, you're perfect now. You know, God is merciful. 
But what he needs is humility and respect. You know, and Isaiah is just like, I'm not all that. I'm, you know, what we like to say is I'm good. I'm normal. What is that? God says our, our rags are filthy to him. What is normal? What is good? What is, no, he wants humility. And the second we show it, he grants it to us. I was just saying how we create God in our image. And we try to say, I want God to be like this. This is who I think God is. I don't think God would do that. I don't think God, I feel like God. And, and what I wanted to tell you guys, um, Moses, when God appeared to him in the burning bush, what did he do? He said, Moses said, who are you? He said, I am who I am. I am who I am. How dare you try to change me? How dare you recreate me into who you think I am? I am who I am. That's his name, I am. Not who you think I am. Not who you think I am because um, you're very sincere and you're good-hearted. You know, you're, 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 you have a good heart, so, you know, it could be who you think I am. No, it's a, you know, if, if somebody met me and they were like, oh, I just met Steph Martin. She's a, a six-foot-tall, 80-year-old Asian woman. And somebody else went away and said, oh, I met Steph Martin. She's a, you know, four-foot-tall Hispanic woman. She's in her 20s. You know, no, I'd be like, no, that's not who I am. Just because you have a good intent, just because you, you, you know, I am who I am. I mean, we are, facts matter. Truth matters. And who God is is who God says he is. And he's told us who he is and we need to pay attention and we need to read the word. And if we know who God is, we can live in the power of God because he says it's, it's available to us. We saw that last week. What John, who is Jesus' best friend, the one who laid on Jesus' chest, the one who God, you know, loved, talks all the time, he got a glimpse into who Jesus was. There's another glimpse. And when he did, he said, I fell at his feet as though dead. This is his best friend. This is the guy who laid on his chest. But he, but he understood that the, in the majesty of God, there is the reverence of God. And I love what Jesus says. He, play, he said, Jesus placed his right hand on me and said, don't be afraid. I'm the first and the last. I'm absolute deity. I'm the son of God and the ever living one, living and beyond all time and space. I died, but see, I'm alive forever, and I have keys of absolute control over death and Hades. First of all, that just describes the power of God, but also it shows the reverence of look at his best friend. And you've got John describing what he sees. So he's like, okay, I'm going to open the door to heaven and let you have a little tiny glimpse about who I really am. And, and it says, after this, I looked, and before me was a door standing open in heaven, and the voice I had first heard speaking to me like a trumpet said, come up here, and I will show you much to take place. And at once I was in the spirit, and there before me was a throne in heaven with someone sitting on it. And the one who sat there had an appearance of jaspers and rubies and rainbows and emeralds circling the throne. And surrounding the throne were 24 other thrones, and seated on them were 24 elders, and they were dressed in white and crowns of gold on their heads. From the throne came flashes of lightning, rumbles, pearls of thunder. I mean, the magnificence of this. And in front of the throne, seven lamps were blazing fire again. These are the seven spirits of God. Also in front of the throne where there was looking like a sea of glass, clear and crystal. In the center around the throne were four living creatures... And they were covered with eyes in the front and the back. I mean, God creates these creatures just to be in his presence. They're covered in eyes. I mean, this is wild stuff. This is, but this is the magnitude of who God is. We need to understand the magnitude. The first living creature was like a lion. The second, an ox. The third, the face of a man. The fourth is a flying eagle. Each one of the four living creatures had six wings and was covered with eyes all around and under the wings. And day and night, what did they say? Holy, holy, holy. The holiness of God, the magnificence, the magnitude of these, of these, you know, first of all, creatures. I mean, listen, if we just saw one of these creatures, we'd fall on our face. When Daniel, when the angel showed up to give Daniel a message, and, and, and almost every single time, I think, I can't think of an, ex, uh, an exception, there might be one I can't think of right now. When angels showed up, they fell flat on their face. 
the magnitude of just one of these creatures, let alone our God. And I'm just saying to you, he is holy. He is powerful. He and his holiness is so relevant to us in our lives. And, and when you see who he is, you know, they all lay their crowns at his feet. They say, Lord, you are worthy. And they talk about how we were created. He created all things for his will, not for our will. We were created for his will, which seemed to get it a little bit straight. I think we might have, I think we're a little bit off. And we were created for his will. When you see how magnificent he is, does it not make you overwhelmed with how he loves us? He left that throne to die right here for us. I mean, he left that. He, that's who he is. And he came and he died. If, if we question his love, when we read about there is judgment, he does deal with the wicked. There is punishment. We've got to acknowledge both sides of him. But look at the love. When you see who he is, it's amazing. That's who he is, and yet he came and died. I, I mean, it's just incredible. That is some pretty amazing love. And he is extraordinary and he is magnificent and we call him father. And when we pray, we come into his presence. And in the name of Jesus, we are perfect and pure in his sight. When we humble ourselves and repent the way Isaiah just did, and we are perfect in his sight and he hears our prayers, that God is for us. That God is for you. That God is for me. That's power. But we've got to start with understanding the reverence of God. <clears throat> we have to understand that the healthy relationship starts with reverence. With your children, you cannot have a healthy relationship with your child if they do not show respect for you. It becomes abusive. It becomes sick. If you've ever seen, I have girlfriends who I really, really love. And their children, there's no... Those children are so disrespectful. It's painful to be around it. And the children are miserable and the parents are miserable and the household is miserable because it doesn't work. We have to have reverence where reverence is due to be able to be healthy. Moses had asked God, who was his friend, right? God talked to Moses face to face in a way. He didn't talk to any other man. And he called him his friend, but he said to him, can I look at your face? When I say face to face, there was a veil, there was a cloud, there was whatever, but he spoke to him, right? Through a bush or whatever. He said, I want to see your face. I, you're my friend. I want to see your face. God said, no man can look at my face and live. If you look at me, you would die. He is holy. His holiness. He lived, the Bible tells us he lives in un constant light. It says he dwells in unapproachable light. That's who he is. So what's happened? What's happened? If this is who God is, and it's all over the Bible, what's happened? I, I think we've gotten too familiar. So uh, Kimmy always yells at me for not doing uh, visuals. So this one's for you, Kimberly. This here's a visual. That's Dave and I when we're young. And I don't know why there's a square on his face, so I don't know what that is about. But anyway, dug up this whole picture. Um, this day, so David, um, so we were engaged in that picture and um, a couple of months away from getting married. And this man named Elmer Gates, he has now passed. But this man, he was the CEO of GN or some big, I don't know, some big thing. And he owned a bunch of banks and he was a very amazing man in our community. And he just loved Dave, took Dave under his wing. Special people always took Dave under his wing. I was always just like, nobody, like, I didn't even have a coach to think I was special. But everybody <laughs> thought Dave was special, and he is. So anyway, so this man, um, he has work to do in D.C. one day, and he picks us up, and, you know, it's very cold thing. He picks us up in his limo, and we spend the whole day with him. And he's just like, listen, you guys are going places. But both of us just didn't, we didn't come from anything special at all. We're just... He goes, you guys are going to do something with your lives. He goes, I have one piece of advice for you. So we're sitting on the edge of our seats. Like, this great man, what is he going to tell us? And he said, um, you both have kind hearts. He goes, you're going to mess up. We're like, what? How are we, where are we going to mess up? You know, we're in our 20s. We're idiots in our 20s, right? We're like, what? How are we going to mess up? He said, 
you're going you're gonna to become too familiar with your employees. He said, you're going to treat them so well that they're going to mistreat you. He said, they're going to become too familiar with you, and it's not going to work. And, of course, I'm just like, I just want to love everybody because I'm literally a Labrador retriever. I just love on everybody. You know? And I'm always like, I'm like, and I remember saying to Dave, I don't want to have to, you know, I don't want to run my business that way. Everybody's just going to be family and blah, blah, blah. Well, fast forward a couple of years later, I have my own business and everybody's family. I do it just that way. And um, I just love on everybody, everybody for holidays, everybody for this, for that, whatever. And it was a small business, so there weren't that many people. And there was this one guy that nobody wanted to hire, and I hired this guy, and I took him in, and we loved him, and he was there for everything, and blah, 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 blah. And it was great for a while, but guess what? Mr. Elmer Gates was absolutely right. He got very, 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 very comfortable. And before you know it, he's not doing what he's supposed to do. He's not showing what he's supposed to. He's not. So now I'm trying to call him on it, right? You're supposed to be here. You're supposed to do this, blah, blah. No, he, well, next thing I know, he's yelling at me. Next thing I know, he's cursing at me. Cat's right, nodding her head. She remember her. She remembers it. Yeah. And, you know, this guy is becoming more and more abusive because he's gotten too familiar. And we were so familiar that I ended up firing him. He had a key to our house because we were keeping some things in our house for the business. He went in and while we were gone, robbed us. All the way back to my dumb 20s. Because familiarity, when you don't keep a certain level of respect, when you don't keep a certain level of, see, and that's what I feel like we've done with God. I think, you know, we, we can become, a, it's Christianity light. It's easy believism. It's a term. It's actually a term. Easy believism means, okay, I profess I'm a Christian. And that's good enough. I have fire insurance. Nothing in my life changes. I really haven't made a commitment to God. Because it's about what he's going to do for me. Not at all about me making a commitment to him. It's about me taking and never serving the King of Kings and Lord of Lords. Never bowing before him and saying, this is my life. Here it is. It's the least I can give you. It's... it's, Ananias and Sapphira, they're struck down. I think they got a little too comfortable with the power of God. You know, the sons of Aaron, the strange fire, they were struck by fire. The consuming fire of God is real. But with it, with the reverence, with the reverence, there is power. And that's what we've got to understand. With the holy living, There is power. I think we become too casual with his holiness and too casual with ours. We have become callous to his holiness. And I think we believe both place lies about it. Just lies. He tells us straight up, be holy because I am holy. I mean, it can't be any more straightforward than to be holy. It's not a request. It's a command. It's like deal with your stuff. Listen, we're not going to be perfect. It's not that he's saying we're going to be perfect. He's saying you've got to deal with it. You can't hide. You can't hide your stuff. You can't lie to yourself. You can't lie to other people. you got to say, God, what are your standards? I will raise myself up to your standards. So I've been, I grappled with this. This has been one of the hardest talks I've ever tried to work through. I really struggled through this talk. I can't even tell you how excruciating this talk has been. I was up till. 1.30 in the morning. I was up again at like 4 this morning. I mean, this has just been a very difficult talk. And I was praying a couple of nights ago, and I'm like, Lord, I really need you to speak to me about this. This is a tough subject. And I, by the way, not very fun to teach in a lot of ways, you know. Like, I like the, the rah-rah stuff, except for the fact that unless we deal with the real stuff, we can't live in the power. We're not living in the, We don't see the church living in the power. So we need to figure out why aren't we are the church. So are we living? Do we have the miracles? Do we have the, and, and let me tell you, we have prayed over, in, in our other ministry, we have prayed over people. People have been healed, set free. We've had extraordinary, supernatural things happen. But God did this stuff in me. God burned stuff out of me. I cannot even tell you the things. 
Um, but I was praying and I'm like, God, just speak to me on this. I'm really, this wasn't even the topic I wanted to preach on. I didn't want to teach on this. And I prayed and I opened my Bible, which isn't always the best way, but God spoke to me. He led me straight to this. This is the last book in the Old Testament. These are, this is the last chapters. It says, who can endure the day of his coming? Who can stand when he appears? For he will be like a fire, a refiner's fire. I mean, this is, these are the last words in the Old Testament. A wander's soap. He will sit as a refiner and purify silver. He will purify the Levites. Who are the Levites? The people who serve him. He's purifying and refine them like gold and silver. Then the Lord will have men who will bring offerings of righteousness and offerings with acceptable to the Lord. So I will come to put you on trial. Wait a second. I'm just saying we need to take a look at this side of God. He said, I'm going to put you on trial. I will be quick to testify against sorcerers, adulterers, perjurers, against those who defraud laborers, oppress widows, orphans, deprive foreigners, and those who do not fear me. Who is he coming against those who do not fear him? We need to have a fear of the Lord. It's a real thing. I, the Lord, do not change. And he's letting us know that at the end of the Old Testament, just in case we say, oh, that doesn't exist in the New Testament, which I've already shown that it does, but because it's the consuming fire that I originally talked about is Hebrews, New Testament. Ananias and Sapphira is Hebrews, New Testament. So you, the descendants of Jacob, are not destroyed ever since the time of your descendants. You have turned away from my decrees and have not kept them. Return to me and I will return to you. See, there's the mercy and the refining fire. In other words, he's like, if you deal with it, I will, I will bless you. But you cannot ignore it. You cannot hide it. You cannot bury it. There's no power. Says, then those who feared the Lord. I love this. Those who feared the Lord. Look, listen, God is eavesdropping. Who's he eavesdropping on? Those who fear him. Those who feared the Lord talked to each other and the Lord listened and heard. He He's listening to those who fear him. And a scroll of remembrance is written in his presence concerning those who fear the Lord and honor his name. Fear and honor before God. On the day when I act, says the Lord Almighty, they will be my treasured possession and I will spare them. In other words, I'm going to protect you. I'm going to bless you when you fear the Lord. Just as a father has compassion on his son. For behold, the day is coming burning like a furnace. And all the arrogant, proud, self-righteous, and haughty. This is what he really, this is, I mean, pride is what brought Satan down from heaven. It's the humility that he's looking for. He's not looking for the perfection. He's looking for the honesty and the humility to own what is. And every evildoer will be stubble, and the Lord that is coming set them on fire, says the Lord of hosts. So there will be nothing left. But you who what? Fear my name. With all filled reverence, the son of righteous, in that, those who fear his name, what is it? Healing in his wings. You will leap with joy, the blessing for those who fear him. But the, but the judgment for those who don't. It says, remember the law of Moses, the statues. Behold, I'm going to send you Elijah the prophet, which we're going to talk about Elijah. And he, the, the purpose is for blessing. It says, he will turn the hearts of the fathers on their children and the hearts of the children on their fathers. Reconciliation. So you see the, the fire does both. It heals and blesses the righteous. It deals with the wicked. And then these are the last words he says. Drop Mike, end of Old Testament, the very last words. And for 400 years, he is silent. Because they wouldn't deal with their stuff. He's just like, I have tried and tried and tried. If you read through all the prophets and all the things he did, as we are reading through the Bible together, you will see thing after thing after thing. He's like, you won't deal with it. These are my departing words. 400 years. Think how old is America. I mean, 400 years is a long time. He's silent. These are his very last words. The power comes when we understand what we're living for. The holiness of God, the purposes of God. In Hebrews 11, which is where we started, it says, talking about Moses, it says, He regarded disgrace for the sake of Christ as of greater value than the treasures of Egypt, 
because he was looking ahead to his reward. By faith, he left Egypt, not fearing the king's anger. He persevered. In other words, living for what matters leads to the miracle that Moses experienced. It also talks in Hebrews, it says, they admitted that they were foreigners and strangers on earth. It's, it's people who have it straight. What are we living for? The miracle comes when we understand the holiness, when we revere the Lord, and we understand that this is the power. The power is not living for ourselves. The power is living for his purposes. They admitted they were foreigners and strangers on the earth. People who say such things show they are looking for a country of their own. If they, had been work, if they had been thinking of the country they had left, they would have had opportunity to return. Instead, they were longing for a better country, a heavenly one. Therefore, God is not ashamed to be called their God, for he has prepared a city for them. I just, you know, as I studied this, I was just like, I do not want to live for myself. I just don't want to live for myself. I do not want to live the, 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 I don't want to live the shallow life. I don't want to live in the shallows with God. I want to understand his power. I want to understand his authority. I, I, want, to, I want to live in the miracles that God has promised and that he promises are available to us. He is a consuming fire. He's a consuming fire. And I want to close with this. I want to say this, first of all, we were created to live supernatural lives. We were not created for the natural. We were not created. When you think about how powerful God is, how can life be mundane with him? Which, by the way, it is not. When you live in that spirit, spirit realm of really giving everything to God, uh, miracles happen all around you. Um, but if you don't, you just are left with the book that you're just trying to understand, just trying to make sense of it. Otherwise, we're just trying to make sense of something. <clears throat> this is Elijah, and this is the story I wanted to end with. Elijah stood in front of the people. He has called out Baal. This is, um, we've all heard of Jezebel, right? This is Jezebel's prophets of Baal against Elijah. And he has called a duel between the gods. And he, so they're on one side, he's on the other. And he says to the people of God, who are supposed to be God's people, how much longer will you waver, wobbling between two opinions, compromising? So they didn't want to be done with God. They weren't like, they weren't throwing Jehovah away. They just wanted God plus however they wanted him. They were doing God plus Baal. They were doing God and other things. They, they just, they weren't reverencing him as the holy God that he was. And he's like, how long are you going to go back and forth between these two opinions? You're going to have to decide if the Lord is really the Lord. And if so, there is no one beside him. It says, if he is the Lord God, then follow him. But if Baal is God, then follow him. The people were completely silent. Do you know what? When there is conviction, it's often really quiet. You know, nothing like, you know, you go to church and there's a lot of rah-rah, which is wonderful. I love that. But a lot of times when there's conviction, it's quiet as a mouse. These people did not say one word. <clears throat> then Elijah said to them, I am the only prophet of the Lord who is left. Can you imagine? And Baal has 450 prophets. Now bring two bulls. The prophets of Baal may choose which one they wish to cut into pieces and lay on the wood at the altar but without setting fire to it. I will prepare the other bull, lay it on the wood. The God who answers by setting fire to the wood is the true God. Fire. I'm going to show who's the true God by fire. <clears throat> and all the people agreed. Then Elijah said to the prophets of Baal, you go first, for there are many of you. You get to choose the bull. You get to choose what you want. You go, go prepare and do it exactly as you want. Call on your God, but don't set fire to the wood. The fire will prove who's real and who isn't. The fire of God in a life shows what's real. So they prepared one of the bulls and placed it on the altar. Then they called on the name of Baal from the morning until noontime, shouting, Oh, Baal, answer us. There's no reply. Then they danced, hobbling around the altar. At about noontime, Elijah began mocking them. You have to shout louder. 
For surely he is a god. Perhaps he's daydreaming or relieving himself. Or maybe he's away on a trip or asleep or needs to be awakened. So they shouted louder. Following their normal custom, they cut themselves with knives and swords until the blood gushed out. They raved all afternoon until the time of the evening sacrifice. But still there was no sound, no response, no reply. Then Elijah called the people, come over here. They all crowded around him and he repaired the altar of the Lord that had been torn down. There's not even an altar of the Lord left. Everything's gone. So listen, in our country, we're seeing our country go this way, right? Yes. Just took one man against everybody. And there was no altar left. He just picked up 12 stones. He picks up 12 stones and says, here, here's an altar. Nothing special. Just the power of God. And then he said, I've rebuilt the altar in the name of the Lord. Then he dug a trench around the altar large enough to hold the water. He, so it's in the middle of the drought, by the way. No drought, no water. So that's the whole thing. You're in the middle of a terrible drought. Then he says, fill the jars with water and pour water over the offering and the wood. They did it three times, three times. More water, more water, more water. These other guys are over here cutting themselves, screaming, yelling, going insane, blood gushing. And he's like, dig a trench, take the precious water that we don't have any of because there's a drought and keep doing it three times until the trench is filled with water. And then the usual time of the, of the evening, he says a prayer. He just walks up to the altar. He says, oh Lord, God of Abraham, Isaac and Jacob, prove today. I started with this verse. Prove today that you are God in Israel and that I am your servant. Prove that I have done all of this in your command. Oh God, answer me. Answer me so these people will know that you, O oh Lord, are God and that you have brought them back to yourself. The fire, the fire shows that. Immediately the fire of the Lord flashed down from heaven and burned up the young bulls, the wood, the stones, the dust, even licking up all the water in the trench. When all the people saw it, they fell face down and cried out, the Lord, he is God. Yes, the Lord is God. Then Elijah says, go seize all those prophets. He killed them all. He killed all the prophets. Serious against standing against evil. Zealous about the holiness of God. The power, the fire of God falling, proving the fire of God. But here's the thing about the altar, and this is, this is the takeaway. The fire of God will fall. He just gave him what he had, water. He just poured water. I mean, you just can give the, the least thing that you had. The fire of God will fall, but there has to be something on that altar. There has to be something on the altar. The consuming fire of God will fall. And when the consuming fire of God falls on your life, it literally, oh, a forest fire just takes over. It cannot be stopped. The consuming fire of God will consume and change everything. But there has to be something on the altar. We have to be willing and, and I know, I, I spend a lot of time with people who are willing to build a lot of altars. And they're willing to pray all day long. But the problem is they're not willing to put anything on their altar. Like the holiness of God. Our holiness. Living in holiness. Understanding that the power comes when we're willing to be reverent to God. When we're willing to, when we're willing to operate in the holiness that he will help us with. He will give us. But not being mundane about him, not being sloppy about him. How dare we be sloppy? How dare we not give him our best? Um, we need to put the altar back in our lives. You know, in the old-fashioned churches, we used to have altars up at the front. In the old-fashioned churches, people will go forward for an altar. We've taken the altars out of the churches. You know why? Because we want an alternate Christianity. We don't want a Christianity with an altar anymore. We really don't. We don't want to have to go and forfeit or lay down or say, God, I am who you want me to be, not you are who I want you to be. We are, we are so supposed to conform to his image. We need the altars. We need the altars back in our lives. We need to lay down on our life what, the, what needs to be put down. 
The Bible says, present your body as a living sacrifice, wholly acceptable unto God. Every day, the Apostle Paul says, I die to myself. I believe, you know, Jesus, obviously he died on the cross, but really the first death was in the garden. Think about it. He died to his self-will in that garden. He was like, listen, I'm 33 years old. I'm in the prime of my life. They want to make me king. You know, and he said, I don't want to die. I don't want to go be tortured. I don't want to go be beat to unrecognizable state. He died when he laid down his self-will on that altar. Not my will, but your will be done. And, and that's what we've got to do. We've got to be, self-will has to be put up on that altar. Our self-will, it's, it's his will. It's his will. It's his holiness. And that leads to our holiness, which leads to power. I think we could maybe do a few less self-help books and, you know, how to grow and mature. I think it's just simple. I think we just put our self-will on the altar. We say, Lord, make me holy as you're holy. I, I know when I was going through this transformation that I've talked to you guys about many times, I was traveling a lot at the time. and I would go to different churches everywhere. And I would go forward. My friends would make so much fun of me. Cats laughing. I would go forward to altar calls everywhere. They would even have an altar call. <laughs> I boohooed and cried. And I mean, God was changing me. And I would go up to those altars and the Holy Spirit would be like, I, had a, I was a mess. He'd be like, you're going to have to put that down. You're going to have to let go of that. He asked me to let go of people I loved. He asked me to love people I didn't. He asked me to do, he asked me to do so many things. And can I tell you now, I'm like, oh God, thank God I did. I am so grateful. But it was hard. It was painful. I mean, altars, it hurts to put it down. But it's worth it because you are resurrected into supernatural life. When you die to the flesh, you're resurrected to the power. We're resurrected to the power when we reverence God and when we deal with his holiness and our own. I'm going to end this here. I said, for this message of the cross is foolish to those who are perishing, but to those who are free being saved, it's the power of God. The power of God is death and resurrection. That's power. That's power. And that's the power we need in our lives. That's the power we need in our world. That's the power we need. It's the power we need. And if you want to ask God, what do I need to lay down? What do I need to put on the altar? What do I need to sacrifice? What do I need to write on the piece of paper? Write it down. Let's do an altar call. Let's do a real altar call. And ask the Lord, what, do, what, what am I sacrificing for the power of God? 